Welcome to the IFI podcast from the Irish Film Institute. I'm Stephen Boylan, and this is the second in our new season of iFi podcasts we're making available during the current COVID-19 lockdown. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can contact us on Facebook and Instagram at Irish Film Institute, or on Twitter at iFi underscore dub. Which of us doesn't cringe when we look back at some aspect of our childhood, and our teenage years in particular? Those tentative first steps to adulthood contain any number of complicated social rituals and emotional obstacles that often shape and mould who we ultimately become. From Rebel Without a Cause to The 400 Blows, from To Kill a Mockingbird to Carrie, and from Boyhood to 8th Grade, cinema has mined this rich vein to create some truly memorable cinema. Later in the show I'll be chatting to journalist and author Anna Carey and writer-actor-director Hugh O'Connor about their favourite coming-of-age films. But first, a brand new collection of eight Irish films, Growing Pains, has just been released to rent on the IFI streaming service IFI at Home. Featuring films from directors Frank Barry, Aoife McArdle, Peter Foote and John Carney amongst others, it's a terrific collection of coming-of-age stories that, although confronting adolescence and those tricky teenage years, straddle a wide range of styles and genres. Joining me to have a look at the collection is IFI Head of Irish Film Programming, Sinevo Flynn. Sinevo, you've noted that this lockdown period is a time when young people have had to show greater versatility and fortitude than ever before, and I think that if I had to pick out one common thread uh, from these films, fortitude would definitely be it. Yeah, it's interesting the, the, that, that you mentioned there's a range of genres here, and that there are indeed, and many of the Irish coming-of-age films uh, feature young protagonists who are uh, standing on the brink of adulthood, who are having to confront very adult issues, and uh, their fortitude and their determination really are, are what characterise the, the whole thrust of the narratives. So when we look at films like I used to live here, Michael inside, twice shy. Uh, we're looking at young people dealing with, with very serious issues and the narratives I would hope would you know, help young people understand what their peers may be going through and you know, m- might have a greater sense of empathy uh, with other people through this. Uh, you know, just to, to mention Frank Berry's work again, Michael inside and I used to live here. Um, what the overriding tone of the films is, uh, it's one of compassion. And I certainly feel a greater sense of understanding of people in these uh, like dire circumstances than I would have done without seeing them. So, yeah, fortitude in the face of these kinds of things is certainly feeling our, a, a characteristic that is very apparent in this body of work. And in general, thinking outside this collection specifically, what do you think are the elements that are required for a successful coming of age film? Well, it's it's a really interesting genre because I think with young people, they are at a point where the narrative becomes theirs. You know, they're not a bit player in somebody else's narrative. You know, their mammies or daddies uh, shows anymore. They're they're at a point where they're beginning to write their own stories. They're they're building themselves from pieces of of themselves that have come together brick by brick. They're they're building their own characters. So I think there's something inherently dramatic about that, about that kind of transitional period between childhood and adulthood, where the the characters, the protagonists are seeking agency. You know, they're wanting to either, you know, consciously write their own stories, the kind of hapless um, victims of what, what happens to them. So I think that's why... The, the genre is so compelling and successful, you know, that you have a young person who is kind of facing interfutures. How do they deal with that? Within the collection here, we have kind of various interpretations of that from the comedic to the, the very serious. There is very often a sense of nostalgia in this work where the, the writer of the screenplay is no longer a teenager, but is looking back with fondness on their teenage years. So a film like like Sing Street or Metal Heart, there's there's a great sense of, of affection and warmth towards an earlier period, the period that the writer would have lived through as, as a teenager. So I think that's often a very attractive feature of this genre as well. What's always interesting about coming of age films as well is the diversity of antagonists as well because obviously in these in the films that we're going to talk through the antagonists move from you know parents to peers to the school system to the prison system so while you have that protagonist as being central 
the antagonist does change quite a lot in relation to what that young person, the obstacle that that young person is coming up against. Yeah, and it is it is through that antagonist, I suppose, that the young person defines themselves. Like you need to forge your own sense of identity. You have to be, you very often would be rebelling against something. So you're kind of defining yourself in opposition to a system or a parent or whatever. But uh, yeah, in this body work, you know, quite often the, the the parental figures are often quite sympathetic. But we can we can go through to if you like, you know, to kind of have a, a greater sense of what viewers are letting themselves in for. Exactly, and let's start with one of the most critically acclaimed Irish films of recent years, which is Frank Berry's Michael Inside. The film was released back in 2018, and it went on to win the IFTA for Best Picture. Tell us about this one. Yeah, Michael Inside is in many ways quite a difficult watch it is incredibly harrowing it's about a young man uh, michael who finds himself facing a prison sentence for you know in the scheme of things a relatively minor offense of of carrying drugs for an older the older brother of a friend of his so it opens as he faces sentencing and he really doesn't feel able to survive the prison system he's been in briefly before so he understands the hierarchies there and the the culture of subordination and indebtedness you know to to older tougher men the 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 young actor david flynn is remarkable in it you know he starts off being incredibly vulnerable and, and fragile looking but you know over the course of the film he kind of hardens as you know he attempts to deal with the the prison system Frank Berry, who directed it, is, without sounding, um, you know, very dull, he is one of the most responsible filmmakers in the landscape. The the, the film oozes kind of ethical attention to the the subjects of the work. He worked on this film with a group called Pathways Prison Rehabilitation Service uh, to, to really explore the experience of prisoners. And you come away from it wholly sympathetic to the character and concerned about the inevitability of a young man kind of living on the periphery of society, just kind of entering a cycle of illegality and criminal behaviour and incarceration. The, the feeling of authenticity in the experience of the young man, it's, it oozes throughout the film. Difficult to watch, but absolutely worthwhile. And a really interesting aspect of the film as well is that it doesn't just focus on Michael's experience, but it fo- focuses on the experience of his grandfather, who he's grown up with and who's kind of left on the outside trying to deal with the fact that Michael has gone away for a while. Yeah, and, and Lawler Roddy, who plays the grandfather, his conversations with Michael before he goes in are, are so meaningful and so profound and so, you know, one would hope would be so helpful to him. You know, his advice to keep his head down, you'll get through this. But he's carrying this deep pain because his son is also in prison. So as I say, there's this kind of inevitability, the cycle of incarceration, you know, from generation to generation. But yeah, Lola Roddy is is so vivid in it, isn't he? It's terrific. It's a it's a really it's a beautifully measured performance. As you mentioned, Frank Berry has two films in the collection, the other being I Used to Live Here which features another terrific central performance from a young actor, Jordan Jones. Uh, tell us about this one. Yeah, so Jordan Jones sparkles in this. I think it was her first film. So again, uh, Frank worked with a group called Headstrong on this film, uh, which is the National Centre for Youth Mental Health. So he became aware of a kind of a contagion of suicide among young kids in, I think it was, I think he was working in Tala at the time. Um, I may be mistaken in the suburb, but, you know, where, where there would be an incidence of uh, suicide and this behaviour or this incident would be copied by associates of the young person who had committed suicide. So a dreadful tragedy within communities. So Frank began to explore this and workshopped with kids in the area. He had been a teacher, um, so he would have been familiar with the the preoccupations and and so on of of teenagers so you had this great sense of naturalism and authenticity in the work I used to live here there's a a kind of Ken Loach feeling to it as there is to Michael inside where at times you wonder is this documentary and because the the voices of the kids that he's giving voice to are so real and at times giving voice is allowing them to be silent you know there's no kind of imposition of his agenda, at least if there is, it's, it's, it's very subtle, but the kids appear to be, the teenagers appear to be playing out their own lives. 
Jordan Jones is, is so powerful in this. There's this kind of just quiet strength to her as she observes what's going on around her. Um, and she kind of internalizes all of the tragedy around her, uh, leading to, you know, a climactic scene um, and ultimately to some level of resolution. But it's it's a really powerful and important film. And again, really illuminating in terms of what is going on in, in society in Dublin, particularly today. Mm-hmm. Uh, perhaps the most visually striking film of the collection, Sneva, is Aoife McArdle's Kissing Candace which is set in Northern Ireland. Um, tell us a little bit about Kissing Candace. It is, as you say, it's it's an incredibly beautiful film. Eva McArdle, who directed, has been a director of music videos for U2 and Brian Ferry, I believe. But, uh, you, you know, I don't, I don't mean to dismiss the film. I mean, it's, it's, it's not just a very handsome film. Uh, it's a film about a young woman who lives with epilepsy a lot of the narrative, there's there's kind of a smudginess between her dreamlike sequences and visions she may have while she's having seizures and reality. So there is this kind of elliptical kind of um, drawing out of the story where she has fantasized her sexual interaction with the young man and the, the, the young man and her fantasies then appears in reality. And he's a member of a pretty grim and brutal violent gang and she becomes um, involved with the gang so it's it's I, I found it you know pretty darn compelling because of the look of it it's it's set actually on the border I think it's it's, it's it was actually filmed I think in Louth rather than uh, north of the border but yeah there's there is kind of this lack of specificity in terms of geography that the accents of the actors are some are Dublin some are northern like I said there's kind of a dreamlike sense to it and the aesthetic is smudgy and intense you know intensely saturated colors and so on it's mm. it's a really fine looking film and a, a, a real pleasure to watch the soundscape is pretty remarkable too and you know there, there's many sequences where the music and there may be a classical track that would be quite at odds with you know, the teenage shenanigans that are going on beneath it. So it's a really creative, crafted piece of work. Yeah, as you mentioned, uh, Aoife McCardle was well known for directing, you know, music videos and she's also worked on commercials for Audi and Nike. And I was just wondering, like, just from how you're describing it, that sensibility seems to come across a little bit in the in, in the filming. Yeah, there's um, certainly great car sequences. <laughs> yeah, um, and, the, and the closing scenes are... You know, you do a double take. It's like, how in the name of God did she achieve that? I mean, it's it's very impressive. And the beauty of the youths, you know, she kind of ennobles them with this really considered camera work and really clever artistic kind of framing. There's great physicality and sensuality to a lot of movement within the film, as if she may have, you know, I, I presume that would come from her work with with music videos. So that that all kind of infuses feature. Um, so it's a really interesting piece of work, Kissing Candice. Well worth catching. Um, we spoke earlier about Michael Inside, and there are two other films in the collection that centre on criminal behaviour, but are much more in the caper vein. Um, the first is Morgan Bush's The Belly of the Whale, an intriguing film this. Yeah, so Belly of the Whale, again, is set in a kind of northern somewhere land, a, a kind of seaside town where a young man returns to reclaim his family's caravan park. Uh, an out-of-season caravan park. So without having to say much more on that uh, about the park, you know, you can see this is not the, the most beautiful setting uh, for a feature film. So there's a, there's a bleakness and a grimness um, as a backdrop to this narrative. So the young man, Lewis MacDougall, um, meets a kind of homeless, alcoholic guy living in his van who's trying to make money selling um, stuffed toys from China to make enough money to pay for his wife's uh, an operation that his wife requires so that's the kind of grim beginning of the film the narrative unfolds as these two kind of mismatched misfits begin their relationship you know at loggerheads but gradually they become dependent on each other and their friendship evolves so it's, it's a film about friendship there certainly are caper elements to it when they kind of fall foul of a local businessman played by Michael Smiley and there's an attempted heist and ultimately there's there's a shootout in a gaming arcade but it's quite the the helter skelter romp but underscoring it through it there is this really strong friendship between Pat Short being as 
wonderful as Pat Short can be when he's um, not being comedic. Not that he isn't great when he's comedic as well, but you know those moments when you see Pat Short and you realise there's, there's a really powerful, robust actor there. That's Belly of the Whale. Really interesting debut film, debut feature from, from Morgan Bush, um, set, as I say, in a, a, a northern county, possibly Donegal. Um, but, you know, about people living on the fringes of society and getting kind of caught up in criminal activity. And it's got that beautiful kind of Martin Parr postcard kind of landscape, as you say, like the amusement arcade that's that's out of season, but is still fully lit up against these darker evenings. It's it's really striking. As is, you know, the caravan park. I mean, you don't get as much bleaker than an out of season caravan park and particularly caravan park, which is abandoned some time ago. So everything's um, kind of falling down and, you know, to have a, a young man inherit this and come in, you know, as he's kind of at a point in his life where he's wanting to kind of establish himself or, you know, build, build, build a future for himself. Um, it's quite the challenge. The second caper, if you like, will be much more recognisable to audiences. The Young Offenders was a huge hit when it was released back in 2016. And that's part of the collection. This was really a phenomenon, Sneva, when it was released. You know, I must admit, as an, a middle-aged woman approaching it, I was like, oh God, am I that interested in two yokers out and about uh, causing trouble. But actually, the friendship between the two, between Connor and Jock, played by Alex Murphy and Chris Wally, is is extraordinary. They're, you know, they can absolutely rely on each other. They have each other's back. So it's about these two cork youths who catch a story on the television about uh, bales of cocaine that were dumped off a boat in, um, in West Cork. And uh, they see that they, they can make their fortune if they manage to go and uh, find a bale of cocaine. So they steal a couple of push bikes and cycle from Cork City to West Cork, which is 150 miles or so. It's, a it's, not, big, a short, it's not a short distance. <laughs> not at all. It's a big adventure. It's a big road trip. And I mean, for me, what one of the greatest joys of it was is seeing Cork, seeing Cork City, which we rarely see in feature films. And shot so lovingly. I mean, we have Connor's ma works in the English market. She's a fish monger in the, the English market in Cork. And there's lots of kind of cycle chases through Cork City, which is such a beautiful city, so windy and so um, intercut with bits of the Lee. You know, it's a surprising city. And as I say, we see it rarely in cinema. So for me, that was really refreshing to, to see the city and to hear the, the jargon of Cork Young flits, you know, as opposed to we hear Dublin Patois all the time, but you know, it, it, it was really interesting to see Cork. So you have this caper, but um, it's genuinely funny, you know, it's mm. it's it's great gas. And Peter Foote really has a fine ear for, for dialogue and humor. So I, you know, I think that explains the success of it. Um, I presume word of mouth just got out there and said, This is really good fun. We're going to stay in that neck of the country, although altogether more serious, is Tom Ryan's film Twice Shy, which was made pre the uh, referendum on the Eighth Amendment, but it's about a young couple facing a very difficult decision. So in Twice Shy, which um, we're, we're pleased to kind of offer an exclusive on, I mean, this is a film that wouldn't have been much seen. It's, it's a s- small budget, a very low budget film uh, made by Tom Ryan with the two leads played by Shane Murray Corcoran and Isolt Casey. So young man and woman, young couple who find themselves pregnant and they, they're having to confront the, the possibility that she would go to London for an abortion. So the, the narrative is pretty much about their discussions, about the process of decision making. It's about their road trip. It's about the, the, the changes to their relationship as they negotiate this journey. It's a quiet film. You know, it's, it's about this crisis that they're, they're facing. The, we have the two leads. We have their their parents, Ardlo Hanlon um, and Pat Short, I think is the other parent. And it's a really filled out kind of a film. You know, it's, it's in some respects kind of a domestic drama about two households, two young people dealing with this issue. But well worth a watch. And But it does really encapsulate um, the, the difficulty or the added difficulty of dealing with an abortion um, at a time where you, you you have to travel to do that. And, you know, the, the added upset and trauma of having to find a boat fare and and be in London and be among strangers and all those things that that made the whole process so harrowing. 
As you mentioned, Sneva didn't get a huge release initially, so well worth catching Twice Shy, which is now on IFI at Home. Finally, we'll finish on a kind of triumphant note. John Carney's Golden Globe-nominated hit Sing Street, which opened the Dublin International Film Festival back in 2016, is a real crowd-pleaser with some great comic performances and some terrific songs, Sneva. It is, absolutely. I, I love Sing Street. I probably because I was coming of age when it is set and it is one of these where the, the, the writer John Carney really kind of revisited I think his teenage years in the mid 80s and it's it's you know one of the extraordinary features about the film is the design of it you know I watch it and I think that was my youth that was Dublin in the 1980s so it's about a young man played by Ferdia Walsh Pilo the, the character's name is Connor or Cosmo as he becomes and he uh, because his father who I think is an architect uh, loses a job he has to move from his posh private school which I always figured was probably Gonzaga to go to Sing Street uh, Christian Brothers School in inner city Dublin so it's him initially having to negotiate that change he's quite a privileged young man with certain expectations of school and society and these are kind of knocked out of him pretty quickly when he hits Sing Street the social interactions the the wine they drink at dinner the the Aaron jumpers they wear to stay warm in their house, which is a fine big Georgian pile, but they can't afford to heat it uh, in in Dublin 6 or wherever it is. These are all perfectly rendered in the film Sing Street. The other thing that I think is is really well developed in the film is is the, 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 the musical underscoring of the lives, where I think for an awful lot of us, our musical tastes are forged when we're teenagers because we're at our most receptive we're like sponges, I think, and we're looking for music to amplify our feelings, our emotions, our sense of ourselves. So the soundtrack to the film is great. The, the young man and his friends, you know, their sense of themselves and their fashions kind of change from week to week as they watch Top of the Pops um, and they see their different heroes, whether it's Duran Duran or Blondie or whatever. So, you know, that their, their their style changes as as the characters in Top of the Pops change. But it's um, the each of the characters in the film, so whether it's Connor, the young man who goes to the, the to Sing Street, uh, his relationship with his brother is really notable. Terrific, yes. yeah. Isn't it great? His, his older brother played by Jack Rayner. He is his mentor, he's his musical mentor, but also his, his life coach in some respects. So he's full of good advice. He's a person who probably hasn't fulfilled or reached his, his potential possibly due, due to smoking too much weed, which he's allowed to do by his parents because they're kind of wishy-washy middle-class libertarians, I think. So each of the characters are, are really well drawn. Um, the mammy and daddy are played by Aidan Gillen and Rhea Doyle Kennedy, who really inhabit their middle-class selves very well. Yeah, what I love about the film as well is, I mean, I saw it at the opening night of, of, of Diff there back in 2016, and it just commits to the feel-good aspect of it so much and we won't give too much away but the the ending of it you know which is a real folly that you know is going to finish about 10 minutes after the film finishes but it's just presented at this heroic epic you know gesture and it's just terrific yeah yeah it, it really it's you know i was just watching the trailer of it again this morning and i came away wreathed in smiles it's it's so much fun it's so and you know there's climactic musical moments where there's a, a school concert and you can't really go wrong with a decent school concert where the band plays their best tune. And there's a there's a love story there with a, an enigmatic young woman, Rafina. Where did they get that name, Rafina? There's something <laughs> kind of biblical about it, but also okay. kind of punky. And the, the Dublin locations are great. You know, it is, it is filmed around Dublin. They, they go out to the sea a lot, so they, they, they make... He joins a band, uh, or he creates a band, really, to attract the attention of the love interest, this young woman, Rafina, who lives across the road from the school. And the band then make a series of music videos, which are a howl. Um, <laughs> but, oh, they, I mean, they're such good fun and they're so reminiscent of the kind of music videos we, we used to love back in the 80s. Mm-hmm. The pastiches are pitched just right. Sing Street is available as part of the Growing Pains collection, which is now available to stream on iFi at Home at www.ifihome.ie. Sneva, thanks so much for your time. Thanks, Stephen.
As I mentioned at the top of the episode, the coming-of-age film has been around for a long time and you'd be hard-pressed to find any national cinema that doesn't contain at least one example of the genre. We've looked at some of the best Irish examples, but I'm now joined by two former teenagers to help us cast the net a little wider and to talk to their own favourite coming-of-age films. Anna Carey is a journalist and a best-selling author of YA fiction. Her latest book, The Boldness of Betty, was recently nominated for an Irish Book Award. Hugh O'Connor is an award-winning actor-writer-director who has appeared in films including My Left Foot, Chocolat and Mary Shelley, and his directorial debut, Metal Heart, is also featured as part of the Growing Pains collection. Hugh, let's start with uh, Metal Heart. Uh, it's such a beautiful and heartfelt film with some great performances. I know author Paul Murray wrote the screenplay, so I was just wondering what attracted you to the story and made you want to direct it? Well, thanks. Thanks, Stephen, and, and uh, hi, Anna. Um, yeah, I uh, I had actually originally approached Paul um, because I was reading Skippy Dies when I was working on on a play actually in in Dublin in the Gate, and uh, I was I was sharing a dressing room with Stephen Swift and a, a really amazing, lovely actor who sadly passed away after we made the film. But he was the one who kind of said, "Oh, I know Paul," and we'd all been in Trinity at different times, so he got me in touch with Paul, and I was working on another project, but hadn't sort of <laughs> I'd gotten a knockback on a project I was working on myself to write and so I thought maybe it'd be a good idea to work with a writer for a feature and so I approached Paul and he had a look at my shorts and stuff like that my shorts that sounds weird too um, <laughs> my shorts. um he liked he liked what he saw um no uh let's put that on that he I sent him my short films and he had sort of knew a little bit about my photography and stuff like that so so we kind of connected and, and started talking about ideas and I was pitching an idea about like Twin Peaks for teenagers like uh tw- you know Twin Peaks and Terran your kind of pitch um for like t- but but uh, it sort of it sort of changed because Paul's writing was so funny and warm when he came back with an idea about two sisters when he was a goth and when he was kind of more sort of preppy but kind of very affectionate towards them all the same and, mm. and the kind of supporting characters as well that it felt like it shouldn't be as dark as maybe we were originally thinking even though the first draft probably was quite dark by the way it ended but it evolved over sort of working with with, with the film board and you know with treasure um and I think ultimately it was kind of it felt like the right way to go to make it more of a sort of a teen comedy rather than anything else because the the, the dialogue and stuff was was funny and warm and I think if you pitched it into a, a more Heather's territory like Anna's going to talk about which we <laughs> loved and we looked at you know and I showed Jordan particularly Heather's she hadn't seen it um but you know at the same time it felt like a kind of a sweeter story um was needed and that's what we went for in the end do you know what I mean so mm-hmm. that's my long-winded way of how we how we got to write it and, and tell us about the essentials of the story. It's about two very different sisters. Yes, exactly. So Jordan Jones plays um, plays Emma, who's kind of more of a goth emo, um, a tortured soul. Um, her best friend's Gary, who's also a, a goth, and then her sister Chantal is uh, an influencer and you know more successful, let's say, um, socially. Uh, and it's about maybe how they kind of change characters over this course of the story. Um, through Mo Dunford's character comes in into the story as well, who's a next door neighbour. So, uh, and Gary as well, you know, and, and Aaron Mana, Aaron Heffernan, who's uh, uh, who plays Alan, is really a, a really funny character as well. Um, Chantal's boyfriend. So there's a lot of different um, characters in there, and it, yeah, that's that's sort of what it what it is. Fantastic. Well, it's a great addition to the Growing Pains collection and it's available now uh, to buy um, on the iFi at Home website. Um, so do check that out. Anna, let's get out of Ireland. Um, you have picked an absolute classic for your first picks, which is Michael Lehman's Heathers. Why have you picked this one? Well, Heathers came out in 1989, which was the year I turned 14. And I saw, I didn't see it in the cinema, but I saw it a few, um, probably six months later when it came out on video. And it blew my mind um it was the first properly black comedy i'd ever seen basically and i think to uh, a lot of girls anyone who was a, a teenage girl in the late 80s a lot of us have a uh, an early 90s of a massive uh, amount of love for winona Ryder, and a lot of it comes from this film because it is the you know it is the coming of age story of her character veronica who learns to uh not only that her friends are all ourselves, but also that sometimes the boy, the bad boy that you might be, you know, find very appealing and attractive uh, is also a terrible person. <laughs> and <laughs> you are much better off without him. So it's, uh, it's, 
it's kind of a delicious mixture of really, really pitch black comedy and uh, actually a genuinely quite important coming of age tale. Yeah. And it's very funny. And she's amazing in it. And I wanted her, uh, all her outfits in it uh, very much in 1989, 90. It's a very influential film. I mean, Mean Girls is obviously an obvious touch point, but even something like Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Clueless. I mean, they all kind of have, Heather's very much had an effect on those films or an influence on those films, I should say. Yeah, it did, because it was written, you know, it came out sort of just after the big wave of John um, Hughes films, which were sort of mostly around the mid 80s. And, you know, I loved them as well at the time. But Heather's just had a proper nasty, deliciously nasty edge, which was a big change for films about teenagers at the time. And... And it also, it's the actual script is incredible because it's got a slightly stylized um, tone. I mean, we are allowed to swear on this podcast, aren't yeah, we? Oh, absolutely. So there are lines like, fuck me gently with the chainsaw. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> as a sort of like, well, fuck me gently with the chainsaw kind of um, delivery. And, you know, did you have a brain tumor for breakfast? Like, it's, <laughs> you can see the influence of Heather's really on, on stuff like Buffy and um, and also on Clueless as well, both two uh, cultural phenomena that I'm also a massive fan of as well. Um, so it has this, this edge isn't quite the right word because it's got a really heightened, it's, it's almost got a David Lynchian sensibility as well. And it's a depiction of the upper middle-class American suburbs. Um, that veer into the nightmarish mm. um, you know it is very stylized I mean even the fact that each of the Heathers has a signature colour uh, signified by their trademark scrunchies very late 80s <laughs> <laughs> detail um, so it's got that mixture of the kind of the stylizedness and then the you know body count that, uh, <laughs> that increases as the film goes on um, so you can see its influence but it's it's not, I think it's still quite pretty unique. You know, mm. I think it still stands up as its own unique thing. Thing, yeah. And, uh, you know, which I think is the sign of something, you know, really good teen culture in that you can see the influence on really good stuff. But again, it doesn't seem, you, you don't feel that you've seen the same thing again and again when you yeah. see the thing that, it's been influ- that it, it influenced. And you always know it's a classic when it gets a re-release and there's a bit of fanfare when, you know, the 30th anniversary comes around, which is kind of terrifying in itself. Hugh, are you a fan of Heathers? Yeah, absolutely. Loved it so much uh, growing up. <laughs> and, uh, and like Anna was saying, I mean, and Winona Wright is so brilliant in it and it is very stylized and almost like from her work with Tim Burton as well with um, mm. Beetlejuice and, and Edward Scissorhands, which I love as well. I'm sure Anna does too. And that kind of stylized world that she, she picked really great projects to work on as well because she was such a great through line through those she was always so honest and sort of like um original as well as an actor yeah. Like. yeah and she was really young I mean that's the thing you sort of when you realize that she's still quite young now like I'm 45 and I think she's she's barely 50 like she was playing a teenager when she was a teenager which is quite rare you know when you see a lot of people in teenage films uh even now, yeah. in the mid 30s. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, she's born 1971. Like, she's she's still, um, she's just 49 now. So, she looked like a teenager and she, because she was one. And I think that we sort of saw her grow up in those, uh, that amazing one of films she was making from, you know, Beetlejuice and, uh, and Mermaids as well, which is. Another kind of forgotten gem, Herman yeah. Cher and Christina Ritchie is a, <laughs> quite a trio. But, you know, when we, I think when, when you see teen, um, I think it is a really important thing about uh, coming of age films where you sort of, where the actors have that slight rawness as well, mm-hmm. or that slight, that, that sense that they are growing up at the same time uh, can make a big difference to, to the sort of tone of the film. Yeah, and and they're still kind of quite young in their career, so they don't have as much baggage kind of coming along yeah, with them from, from from previous roles. If you haven't seen Heather's, um, it's widely available. You can rent it from Amazon, Google, Apple TV, and a number of other platforms. Now, and a lot of horrific things happen in Heather's, but for more straightforward horror, you've picked out Ginger Snaps. Tell us about this one. 
So this is a Canadian film. I was torn between this and Carrie, which are all, and which is another film that uh, sort of shows teenage puberty, uh, female puberty as a, as a horror show. But it's basically the the premise is it's a Canadian film from two thousand, and it's two sisters, um, and one of them just I think it's the actual day or night she gets her um, her first period, she's attacked by a creature, which is clearly a werewolf, and gradually becomes a werewolf, um, which sounds ridiculous, but it's played, I think at least one of the creators went on to to work on um, Orphan Black, uh, which is a great series, which is available on Netflix, and showed there just an interest in the sort of in identity and sibling relationships that was there in Ginger Snaps um, because really like the best horror films are are tragic you know like Carrie's really really sad and uh, and Ginger Snaps is really sad as well because it's it basically is about a sis the the girl who is is turned into a werewolf, whose name is Ginger, uh, and her sister, who's basically trying to save her from herself. And it's really tender and moving, and it's gross as well. Like I, you know, it's, it pushed <laughs> it pushed the um, my stomach. I I am quite squeamish, uh, and there's some genuinely unsettling bits in this film. Yeah. But I think some of the best. Um, you know, there's there's nothing more horrific than being a teenager at times, which is another thing that Buffy really uh, brought to its logical conclusion. And yeah, I think both Ginger Snaps and Carrie are two films that turn the abstract horror into something and sort of changes that come with hitting your teens or, or adolescents in general and yeah. manifest them very, very literally. And actually both of them, now I come to think of it, uh, basically start with the girl getting her first period so it's quite a literal coming of age and it's it's um it's kind of a subversive because i think we often think of werewolves in that very masculine kind of male um aspect but like and in that case to have a female werewolf it's kind of a little bit different yeah no it is and and it is a, a really you know uh, the, the relationship with the sisters is uh, as i said is is at the core of it like it is about it's a film about sisterhood as well as the horrors of adolescence uh made very very literal and and it does that really really well uh and the, the way that it's i'm not going to spoil it but the way that the sort of werewolf changes manifest are very unsettling there's a scene with a tail which i will <laughs> hold me for possibly forever um <laughs> But uh, I guess it's, you know, a thing with teenagers are kind of have, they tend to be very physically self-conscious. And I guess this is another thing that takes that self-consciousness to the horrific. Next level. Um, Ginger Snaps is available to rent from Amazon and watch out for the tale. Um, Hugh, coming to you next, you've picked out Rushmore, which was Wes Anderson's second film and featured Jason Schwartzman and Bill Murray. I know it's a bit of a Marmite film for people, but why do you love it? Uh, I just, I suppose, when I saw it, I was, I was in New York going to going to film school actually at NYU, and um, it just was such a joyous thing to watch in the cinema for me because I'm such a, a nerd anyway, and a camera geek, and I suppose the way that Wes Anderson made it was very much influenced by Scorsese and you know people like that, but it had such an original wit to it too for me, um, and a f- sort of dry humour, um, but a heart as well, and Bill Murray so brilliant in it, um, and I, I actually knew. Well, still know Brian Cox, the actor, a bit, and he was doing a play called Arsh uh, that was on in New York at the time. And I remember he'd mentioned this, so I went to see it. It was only on for a week in New York because it was open. It was sort of running for the Oscar, you know, um, uh, to kind of qualify for it uh, around Christmas time. I remember, and I just remember calling him afterwards, and I was so excited, and he was great in it as well. And you know, then sort of s- sort of looked. I remember Scorsese t- talking about liking Rushmore and how he, he he thought Bottle Rocket was one of the best films of his best films of the 90s and it kind of got me I suppose the thing about Wes Anderson I know it's sort of a, almost a cliche at the stage because he's such an institution but he's so um he's so original and he's so um he enjoys what he does so much and I think everybody does who works in it um that it just sort of it's it just kind of a joyous thing and, and I suppose thinking of films actually really just just affected me a lot I had to kind of put it there yeah 
Um, Anna, you mentioned previously that you had like the John Hughes period in the 80s, but also then in the late 90s, um, and, and Hugh, you'll be familiar with all of these as well, you also had like another glut of high school films like Election and yeah. 10 Things I Hate About You and The Virgin Suicides and Cruel yeah. So it, it seems to go around in cycles where you get a burst of kind of high school coming of age films. But I mean, I, just thinking that Rushmore was like ahead of the pack when it came to that glut that came at that period. Yeah, and I loved, I mean, I loved Rushmore. I went to see it. One of the only films I've ever gone to see on my own while on holiday because <laughs> I was over in Boston and I had a no free way. afternoon. And uh, I it had just opened there and I just adored it. And yeah, there was there were some amazing, actually, the, the late 90s, like 10 Things I Ate About You, I think is one of my absolute favourite romantic comedies. And it's a perfect teen film. And oh, they I do definitely brilliant as well. Election is absolutely brilliant. Yeah, uh, with with Matthew Broderick, the teen teen yeah. idol of the yeah. of <laughs> Matthew Broderick teen idol. <laughs> but um, yeah, it definitely does go in 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 cycles um, to an extent that I'm I'm not sure. I can't really think of anything that recent. Actually, and, and one of the the last one that I really loved was the film We Are the Best by Lucas Moodison. Um, which is about three teenagers who in Sweden who started band, th- teenage girls who started band, which is amazing. But I, I checked the date of that because I was thinking that's really recent, and it was like twenty fourteen or something. So it's <laughs> not recent at all. Yeah, I have to say one, one of my favorite ones of very recently was Eighth Grade, which I thought was just brilliant. The Bo Burnham film with Elsie uh, Fisher was just like it was terrifying i enjoyed it much more the second time around because the first time i could barely watch it it was just like it was so cringy the whole way but uh, that 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 was that was really great um rushmore is available again widely from uh, amazon sky store uh, sky store and others um hugh we're going to take the, uh, your next two back to back firstly noah bombach's the squid and the whale um, which I remember seeing back as part of the Dublin Film Festival many years ago. It's a difficult enough watch, but it's a terrific screenplay and the performances are amazing. I've completely forgotten that Jesse Eisenberg plays one of the sons in it. Uh, yeah, um, I just, I, you know, I, I don't know when I actually saw it, but I just remember being so affected by it. And, and uh, you know, just Jeff Daniels in particular and, and Laura Linney, I mean, they're all brilliant. Um, just the performances are so hard felt and it's from such a real place and I think um, it's funny because I think Wes Anderson was a producer on it so it kind of it sort of showed that kind of influence that he had in inspiring other kind of American anyway young American filmmakers to kind of make their own stuff and, and I suppose because it's uh, and, you know Rushmore is a personal film as well about divorce and I suppose this is as well and that you know Wes Anderson and Noah Baumbach both have that experience obviously in their lives so it, it gives it an extra you know um, searing heat, if you know what I mean, mm-hmm. in terms of, of what comes through in it. Uh, just so beautifully done, the music and the way, even the, the, the style of it is so so offhand. Um, and he's gone on obviously to work with Robbie Ryan, which is amazing since, um, and made you know great work since. So, and yeah, the other film I'd sort of mentioned with that was Lady Bird, just because obviously they're partners in real life. And uh, again, it's it's not a totally person, like it's not an autobiographical story, but it's very much from her, you know insular life and mm-hmm. how that I, I think she does it beautifully it's so beautifully shot as is little women i think it's absolutely brilliant film and she she works in every shot so beautifully and plans everything so well and obviously works with actors so well um so yeah they're pretty much a powerhouse uh, and it, it, it felt like there was a link between all of them a sort of a through line and it's interesting that because bombach's latest film was marriage story which again kind of looks at this this theme but it's it's it doesn't have the the, the the child element this time round, which the the squid and the whale would have had the, the first time round. And Anna, you're a fan of Ladybird. Yeah, I am actually. Literally, as uh, as he was speaking, I realised that having just said, I can't think of anything recent coming of age films. <laughs> um, I thought of oh yeah, Ladybird and Booksmart and Diary yeah. of a Teenage Girl and all these you know multiple other Maybe. films. I guess I was thinking of sort of big mainstream you know teen films that are I think there's sometimes the difference between the films that are really aimed at teens yeah. like John Hughes um, and kind of Heathers when it came out she, you know it was seen as being sort of a dark teen movie mm. and um, films that are you know it's the difference between novels for kids and adult novels that are about kids is the difference uh, even though when you are a teenager I mean I think I would have adored Lady Bird and, uh, and Booksmart and all the other adult coming of age films we've talked about but yeah I loved Lady Bird I thought it was astonishing um and 
you know, it also showed the coming of age from the parents' point of view as yeah. well. How nightmarish that can be. <laughs> and that, just that opening sequence where she throws herself out of the car and you think, is this some sort of dream sequence? And then she knows she walks around with a cast in her arm the rest of the film. It's incredible. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's just perfect. It, I think it's one of those films that captures the just the mindset of teenage kind of dramatic it's it's sort of a sense of self it's it's not quite angst but there's a certain mindset when you're a teenager and really nothing's that bad when you look at you know the the actual facts of your life but somehow yeah. you manage to make everything extremely dramatic which i think it, it really got and um and Saoirse Rodin's fantastic at it and in Little Women as well they're such a great team I hope they keep making films like and Timothy Chalamet. They should all just be making films around. Yeah, <laughs> it's like this little rep company that goes yeah. around and makes films all the exactly. time. Yeah. I'd be happy with that. Yeah. That's worse for me. Um, Anna, you mentioned We Are the Best uh, earlier on, which is a Swedish film from 2013. As you said, uh, director is Lucas Moodyson. He's known for creating films that are very kind of uniquely Swedish. Is We Are the Best within that mold, or is it a, a very kind of universal story? Um, I guess in some ways it's probably pretty Swedish, but I think it is. It's it is very universal. Like I really, really love films about um teenage girls starting bands. So my first four books uh are about a girl um who starts a band with her with her best friends in school and terrible <laughs> bands in my teens and in better bands in my twenties. But um what I, was the bands I just, in your teens called? God, we didn't even have a name. We used to busk on Grafton Street. So if you saw if you saw a group of boys and a girl who was me playing um, bad covers of like door <laughs> songs on Grafton Street in 1991, that was that was us. But seriously, I do really love films about we like when you get a good realistic film about starting a band, which we are the best, and uh, and the Japanese went to 2005 film Linda 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 are they're just. A, a delight and I just really love seeing ones about girls in bands because it would have meant a huge amount to me when I was a teenager and it retrospectively does now and the the thing with the with the girl the girls in we are the best is that they're they, they're kind of they, well they are explicitly outsiders and they're kind of sneered at it's it's they're little baby punks and the rest of the school kind of think they're ridiculous but they genuinely think we're the best and, and so they are uh, and it's something there's something really gorgeous about that to see these sort of confident little weirdos I find it <laughs> extremely cheering and uh, you know are they technically the best probably not when you hear them but they're they're they are properly punk and I I, I love them and it's it's a really it's a feel-good film um without being sentimental or, you know, cutesy in any way. Uh, it's it's a very cheering watch. Uh, As is Linda, 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 actually, which is uh, amazing. One of my, probably my favourite film about being in a band, which is about a bunch of uh, Jap- girls in, in a Japanese high school who are in a band and they lose their singer and they basically one of them says right we'll take the next person who walks past as our singer who happens to be this Korean exchange student <laughs> and she's got sort of a bit shy and awkward and her, she can't really speak Japanese very well but she joins them to do this cover version of a song called Linda 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 which is amazing and it is an absolute delight and again a film that really captures the kind of just the body language of teenagers so everybody's just sort of slumped and elaborately draped over things and their band practices feel really realistic and the dynamics feel really realistic and when they finally play their gig like the school fair at the end you'll be cheering them on it is a delight and it's also about the whole both of those films are about just how doing something and creating something with your friends is a really important thing and also a way of realizing what you can do which is an important coming of age thing i think um we're going to finish with a director actually who has done really well in the last couple of years the last few years making films where kids have been at the center and that's taika watiti um and you picked out hunt for the wilder people 
um, yes. which is just a laugh riot. It's just inspired. I love it. I just, I, I mean, he's he's just made such distinctive and d- delightful films, Taika Waititi, and I hope he doesn't get totally sucked into making like the big. Marvel movies and stuff because I'd love to see him continuing to to make his uh, odd New Zealand <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, things, but yeah, it's the I mean it's a it's a convoluted setup, but I mean basically all you need to know is that it's got um it's, it's a boy who's in foster care who ends up going on the run with his foster father who is played absolutely delightfully by Sam Neill and they they go on the run into the into the wilderness so they realize that they are wilder people and it's really funny it's heartfelt it's totally unsentimental again and I guess it's it's sort of a coming of age for for both boy and man <laughs> because they both kind of learn a bit about themselves uh, and it's just got a really touching relationship at the centre that's never sentimental or cheesy it's just an absolute joy I cannot recommend it enough yeah, no, it's, there's a, a terrific section of films there. If, if I could shout out a few extra ones for myself. Rocket Science, which was a film there a couple of years ago about competitive debating with Anna Kendrick in it, which was absolutely just terrific. Oh, that is definitely one for your list. Um, and also, slightly more serious, Mustang, um, which was the Turkish film there that was nominated for the Best Foreign Language Oscar, about a story about five teenage girls growing up in a very conservative house in Turkey, which was absolutely uh, fantastic. So plenty of fantastic uh, films there to explore uh, for the first time or to revisit Anna Hugh thanks so much for joining us thank you thanks Stephen that's all from this week's iFi podcast we'll be back next week I hope you'll join us then the iFi podcast is produced by the Irish Film Institute the Irish Film Institute is principally funded by the Arts Council the iFi is a charity for more information on how to support its work visit ifi.ie forward slash support